The Courage to Lead, episode 245. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Dan Gershenson. Dan Gershenson of Caliber is Chicago's highest-rated fractional chief marketing officer, guiding second generation and above business owners to more profit, dream clients, and the work they love. Dan specializes in brand strategy, content, SEO, social media, e-marketing, and new business development. He's been in the advertising and marketing space for over 25 years, frequently speaking on the subjects of marketing strategy, social selling, entrepreneurialism, and reputation management. He is a co-author of the best-selling book, Content Marketing for Local Search. Create content that Google loves and prospects devour. Dan, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Harlan. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. No, it's good to talk to you. Over 25 years in marketing. Now, did you know that's where you wanted to be or did you kind of find yourself there or gravitating towards marketing? Yeah, um, well, I knew that I wanted to be a writer um, in college, and I thought really it was kind of more sports writer or something like that, newspaper writer. Um, So I knew writer was part of the game, but I didn't know that necessarily marketing and advertising was going to be part of it. Honestly, the reason I have been down this track is at sophomore year of college, they said, well, You've tried out a lot of stuff. Now you have to declare a major. And uh, I said, okay, I just took an advertising and marketing class. I think that's pretty good. I, I think that's my favorite. I'll, I'll do that. And that's really honest. That's how it started. Um, and luckily, I just had a great fascination with it and um, with classes. And then I knew very quickly this was the career for me. And um, so I kind of found myself in college. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. I I grew up with a guy that he knew from, I mean, when he could stand and walk, he knew he wanted to be in the medical profession (laughs) and nothing ever deterred him from that. And he went right in. I'm still trying to figure out, (laughs) you know, I'm still trying to figure out where I want to go. You you know, it's funny because I still also think that maybe I had an inkling of it. Um, I can still remember it. Second grade career day. And we had a guy who came in from an advertising agency and said, this is what we did for McDonald's. And I thought that is the neatest thing ever. I like commercial, you know, everybody else was kind of their, their parents were, it was fine, but you know, banker or something like that. And then uh, this person comes in and talking about how he came up with ideas up for commercials. And I'm like, Oh, that's so neat. So um, I think that seed was probably planted way back. Nice. Very cool. All right. I want to come back and talk about all of that, um, how you got your start, who you work with, how you help them. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. Now, the listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I always thought if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. <laughs> so, Dan, if you're ready, I'm 10 ready. questions. Let's all right. It. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Hmm. I think my favorite word is my favorite word. Actually, my favorite word this year is no. Uh, no is a good word. It, it gives you boundaries. <laughs> yes. Yes. No is a love word. That's good. Good job. All right. What's your least favorite word? Um, can't. Can't. Yeah, absolutely. Can't, All right. What, <laughs> no, I'm fine with I won't. I'm not good with can't. Can't is tough. Anybody yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. All right. What turns you on? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I think the thing that keep, that turns me on is um, creativity. Yeah, creative, creative things uh, for us human beings to come up with ideas that have never been done before. Love nice. that. Yep. All right. What turns you off? Hmm. 
uh, close-mindedness, bigotry, racism, people that only listen to themselves. Very good. All right. What sound or noise do you love? <laughs> Farting. <laughs> it cracks up my, my kid. So, and she just laughs and laughs and laughs. So awesome. and it's not, it doesn't have to come from me. Just it, it can come That's, from her. Yep. It's the best thing. Ever. Just blame it on the dog. You're okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Screaming. <laughs> I do not like yelling and screaming. It's yeah. terrible. I'm with you. All right, pause. We didn't talk about this before. Question seven is, what is your favorite curse word? We don't need to go into detail of the exact word. We can say it starts with, it rhymes with, it finishes this sentence. Um, I had one guy talk about his Shih Tzu dog. Um, I had another lady say that autocorrect says duck. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Auto autocorrect says duck. It is my, I think it's a brilliant word. I just think it, it applies to everything and it's just fantastic. So, you and my wife, absolutely. All right, let's pause for a second. I will come back and ask the question and then let's go on. Okay, sure. All right, all right. Question seven What is your favorite curse word? Um, my favorite curse word is one that rhymes with duck. <laughs> and um, it is a brilliant, brilliant word. I just love it. Um, I don't say it in front of my child, but I do. It's so versatile. It's wonderful. <laughs> All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, that's easy. I would have done um, archaeology. I, oh, yeah. I I don't know that it's necessarily accurate, but I love Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones and all that stuff. So digging for anything would probably be pretty awesome for me. Absolutely. Very good. All right. What profession would you not like to do? I admire anyone um, who is out there in the blazing hot sun trying to do construction work. My head is off to them. I would, I would be done within ten minutes. Like that would be, I can't even imagine doing that kind of work. And it's never like cool clothes that they're wearing. It's always like bulky stuff. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I. I. Oh yeah. no. That'd be that'd be horrible. The builders or the guys working on the roads, you know, putting in the yeah. roads. Oh. Yeah. I. I don't know. I. No. I just walk away. <laughs> All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You just made it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it close. <laughs> you just made it. <laughs> and then, I, then you'd probably say something like, oh, I'm just kidding. You're fine. <laughs> Good job. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you got your start, uh, who you work with, how you help them, some of the the things that you've seen in business, how you work with the, the people you do, because I'm fascinated by, I work with businesses, you work with family businesses, and that's a whole, whole nother bucket of worms. So um, we're going to take a short break, come back, and we'll talk about all that and at some point transition into courage and leadership. Okay. Sounds great. Awesome. All right. Listeners, we'll be talking about all that and more right after this. So stick with us. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do, make sure you share it with your family, friends, colleagues. Uh, like it, leave a review, and definitely subscribe. When you subscribe, that helps boost the podcast to where it's uh, seen and heard in a lot of different areas. So make sure you hit that uh, subscribe button and subscribe. And uh, again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. And I'm back with my guest, Dan Gershenson. Dan, thanks again for taking time out up in Chicago, right? Yes, that's absolutely right. We are in the north side of Chicago, just a stone throw from Wrigley Field. Nice. Very yeah. good. See, that's where that sports rider would have been just perfect. Get out there. It would have been. It would have been. Nice. So you mentioned a little bit about uh, some of the work you've done, how you've gotten into the marketing space. What did you do before that? Did you do anything before do you have any um, other jobs in the entrepreneurial 
Let's see. Um, My work has always been pretty much advertising and marketing firms. Um, So the first 10 years of my career, I was working for other people um, and other agencies. So uh, big ones, small ones. um, And the best part about them is they... Um, they let me have opportunities I never otherwise would have had. So um, looking back on it, the fact that they gave this 22, 23-year-old kid uh, the opportunity to write for anything, I was as happy as could be because I um, had been in internships where I really didn't necessarily get a lot to do. And um, I was like, well, I'll just have to bide my time for who knows how long. And um, they gave me the opportunity uh, to do some some things that really helped me gain confidence in what I was doing as a writer. And then eventually as sort of a creative director type of person to understand that it wasn't just being creative for creativity's sake, that you were trying to sell something to. Uh, yeah. So yeah, those that first 10 years of my career was different in that way. Um, and everything else before that was just work ethic kind of stuff for my dad. Uh, you know, so that mom and dad uh, kind of stuff, summer jobs, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so what what encouraged you to go out and start your own business? Because you had these good jobs in the different agencies sure. and stuff like that. What was the yeah. catalyst for that? Yeah. Um, I did not. The first one um, was around 2005. And um It was just as luck would have it, I happened to be sitting right next to the two people who had become my business partners. And um, we just we just enjoyed spending time with each other. We had a blast. Um, And it was just they were so fun to talk to. They had such a passion for doing creative work. Um, And, you know, some people, they get into sort of this mold of, well, I'm just a worker bee. I don't, you know, I do what I'm told. (laughs) And um, we just saw something bigger for ourselves. If it was not going to be there um, where we were, then it was going to be um, somewhere else, possibly doing our own business. And so um, we we very quickly, I I can remember my decision to do it was because I knew Someone had said to me, you're a creative person. We don't promote leaders here who are creative. Like literally said that. Really? And um, (laughs) yeah. And when you hear that, it was shocking. And um, just, you know, look around, you know, do you see anybody who's like you? And I said, you know, honestly, I don't think I I do. Um, And that was the push I needed to say either you can run back to your old life, um, you know, working with some other kinds of people, or you can start your own thing with these two guys. One was a designer. I was the writer. This other guy was new business. And um, I said, you know, it's that famous line from Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. And I just said, this is what I got to do. I got to take the jump. And I went, I told my wife, she was a little shocked at first. And, uh, and then I kind of pitched it to my parents, you know, because I thought, you know, I want my family on board with this entirely. So, um, but I've said this before, it took about six months of planning. And then even at six months or so, I was still nervous to, to do it. But this is why you just jump and you hope for the best. And there will never be a perfect time ever to, to go do it. You just have to do it and you will learn from your experiences. Good and bad. Yeah. You hear people say, um, we'll have kids when we're ready. It's like, you're never ready. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you decide yeah. that's what you're going to do and you just kind of figure it out as you go. Right. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I, I heard that expression a lot when it came to kids. Um, Cause I was like, I said that sort of thing. I said, well, I want to be doing this and she wants to be doing that. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, thank goodness we ended up having one, but it was uh, that kind of thinking, Oh, when I do this and, and entrepreneurialism is the same way. When I make enough, 
then I can go start my own business. Or when you're on your own business, right. well, we'll be this kind of agency when we get X amount of money. Or we can turn people away when we have X amount of money. And there's just never a good, you'll just keep pushing those goalposts. Um, and you just have to sort of, you just have to act as if you do have that money if you don't and really lead in that way. Absolutely. So it was the creativity that drew you to the marketing side? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've always been fascinated by um, writing and being able to, I think if there's one thing that I have excelled in, um, it is taking what some people believe to be boring, including the people who do that work. Like some people literally call them their own work boring. Yeah. And I don't think it is once you really dig deep and see, you know, what makes you different. And some people don't see that right away. So when I can do that, and I can show them sometimes how different they are. Um, and that it's a realistic story. It's not, you know, something fabricated. It's something real. Then they can own it and their eyes light up. That's about as good as it gets for me is that I've given someone who does what they do a new way of looking at what they do with appreciation. And that's as good as it gets. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, it's the marketing, you help them with branding also, right? Yes, yes. So what I do is I am a fractional chief marketing officer. And that means that I am someone who um, I help them uh, have a bit of a strategic plan first. You know, who's your ideal client? Um, what are your goals? What's your vision? All of that good stuff. And we always do that first, 10 out of 10 times. And then from there we take a look at the entire sort of wheel of what they should be doing and what they don't need to be doing. And um, there are a ton of people out there that kind of throw things against the wall like a dartboard and say, well, we decided to do this because it's the new thing and everybody has this or that. And so what I do is I come in there, embed myself as almost part of their team Nice. And um, really give them a sense of, okay, you need help in website writing, you need help in search engine optimization, you need help in social media or e-marketing. And some of those things I do myself, some of them I bring in other team members that I vetted. And so that really is a great model for being flexible and nimble. And um, that's really what Caliber has always been about. Uh, over uh, the last many years is, uh, you know, in 2011, we opened our doors and the, the people that we have come to enjoy working with the most are family businesses because there's a legacy to protect or there is a goal of some sort um, to get from the first generation to the second. And what is the second going to do that's new and exciting to evolve the business? Yeah. Or even from the second or third, when there's not that many of those out there. And so they oftentimes, what I've always been amazed by is that no matter how long they've been in business, they can be around for decades and they can still say, we don't know what our story is. And, yes. and, I, and I'm like, how can you not know? Or we don't know how to tell this on a continuous basis. And, and, um, and then I just came to realize they've had their heads down for a really long time doing what they do. And they do it well, really yeah. well. But there's a difference between building your brand and building your business. And I True. think a lot of people build their businesses, but they don't necessarily build their brand. And that yeah. can be every bit as important, if not more so, especially well, your family business. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, working with family business, um, you may have a variety of owners or partial owners that all have a different idea of the direction that they want for their, their branding and marketing. Yeah. You know, this used to work, this works. Um, I did a, a webinar a couple of years back. Who do you think you're talking to? Because so many websites talk about me, me, me. Right? Yeah. 
here's how long I've been in business, how many certifications I have. Granddaddy started the business. We've been in the same location 100 years. It's like, none of that really matters. If you yeah. can't get across that I understand your problem and I have a solution for you, then the other things come into play. Yeah. Some, some businesses want to focus so much on themselves. Me, 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 me. Yes. Great. Yes, <laughs> you know, but yeah. Yeah, so they, they do. Um, they absolutely. And, and I'm no different in, uh, believe it or not, it, I'm a work in progress in that department too, is um, I fall into the trap of talking about my experience or things like that. And it's, and look, those things are, are nice and they're, it's not that they don't, they're, they're not important, but what do they really need help with right now? Um, those other things that people tend to talk to first are more the proof points to the bullet points, but right. they're not the big yeah. sign from above that people need. Yeah. If, if, if I go to your website and I see that the first thing on the splash page is that's the problem I have and you have a solution for it. Now all the other stuff comes into play. Yeah. Rather than going to this fly by night who just came on the market, you've been around for a hundred years. I'm going to go with you guys. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Now I, I work with small to mid-sized companies. Um, who do you target? Do you have a certain niche that you work with? Yeah. Um, I have found that when it is a family business that, um, you know, the size of it can be oftentimes up to say a hundred people, hundred employees. And the, the location can be in this day and age, it can be a lot of places. Um, when it's, uh, you know, it, I've, I've helped folks from all over. So, um, what really, uh, is the thing that I focus on is how big is their marketing department? Um, if they have none or they have, say, one or two marketing people at best, then that is a company guaranteed, I can call it right now, that marketing person is swamped beyond belief. And they may never say that. They may say, oh, everything's fine. But there's so much that they have been tasked with. And they don't always feel that everybody knows what they do in a day. Yeah. And so um, they are just kind of, you know, keeping some things moving. And the bigger place that the CEO might want to get to for the next era, let's say, is not something that is easily told by that CEO yeah. or by that marketing person. Um, and so they need someone like myself to come in give them some not only direction, but do the work. I mean, actually be someone who comes in and does the work, doesn't just give them a plan or tells them go here, go there, but actually does the work and, and can mentor the marketing person if they are not very senior. So um, those are the kinds of people um, that have the, the, un the unifying trait um, is that they have the humility to know that they need help. I mean, you have seen this, I can't imagine, uh, hundreds of times in leaders that the most important quality sometimes that they can have is say, I don't have the answer. Right. And um, when they don't have the answer and they know it, but they also know that they want to get to somewhere, um, that's a great combination. It really Absolutely. Is. But it's, yeah. it's scary, you know, to be the oh, leader yeah. and, and admit that you don't know. Um, I think that's, that's scary for them. I getting back to that one person who's doing it in a family business. It could be one of the, one of the brothers or the cousins or the kids or somebody, and they don't want to admit that they're overwhelmed, but yes. they're in there doing the, the marketing and the advertising and the social media and the PR and the website and the SEO. It's, it's like a, a diner that has that 68 page menu <laughs> of every food known to mankind. They can't right. do it all well. You know, no, they do it all no. mediocre. And that's basically what you get when you have that one person. You need yeah. somebody that can focus on the different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you want to have someone that you, you, you would hope that they can be trained up to, to grow into the company and to be someone who, even if they do eventually leave, they will always remember the foundation that you gave them. And I think that's always important no matter what. And so I think... Um, you know, that's, that's what so many folks I think are also challenged by is I have this person, I don't know how to up-level them. They, they are good at what they do, but I see more in them. 
And I would like to make sure that hopefully they are going to have a future with us because there is a future that I see that I hope more people can come with, with me and my vision. But, um, you know, there's, that's part of the thing that I am here for is to say, okay, I get where you're trying to go. Um, Here's how that messaging needs to be for, for that to occur. And um, so that's really where I, I come in. Nice. And then as a fractional, that means you're you're not with them full time, but you're with them no. on, on a what an as needed basis or a quarterly uh, basis. How does that work? Monthly, uh, it's okay. monthly, and it's um, it's it's a little bit um, of a of a thing where I never liked people looking at their hours, like how they spend. Where are we at on hours? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, you're not going to worry about the hours with me. You're going to um, have the same amount that you pay on a flat rate basis every single month so that there's, yes, there's core things that we will do, but there's also um, things that come up and um, you need someone who is a fractional to do that. So when I say fractional, many times that could be a client that they will need 10, 15, 20 hours, maybe a little bit more, but they don't need somebody there 40 hours a week. And, um, and I don't need to be there 40 hours a week to make a nice impact on their business. Sure. So um, that's that's where I think many times I do want to do a little bit more than just, you know, a few hours or as needed. Definitely not. But um, if they are seeing consistent things coming up that they need help with, and frankly, they should not be doing, um, you know, and it is not with any arrogance at all for me when I say to people, you have no business writing. Like, it doesn't mean if you're good or bad. I'm not talking about that. You have no business writing because your business needs you for higher level things. Yes. So why are you sitting there doing blogs when you need to be going out there and doing new business? Because I can't do new business for you. I can do blogs with you and collaborate with you and get them produced, but I cannot go out there and do new business pitches for you. Yeah, so, but is it that they think that they're that good at it that they nobody else can get their ideas down on paper? Do they? Yeah, yeah. What, uh, that's, because that's I've known other I've here. known other leaders that do that. It's like no, no, no. I'll clean up. I'll sweep. It's like why? Why are you <laughs> sweeping? You know? Yeah. I hear yeah. somebody to do that. Yeah. Well, well, I you know what I learned. Um, this is just something that came with experience. Is that. Um, I don't mind saying that sometimes the hardest people to work with, and they would say this about themselves, are lawyers. Lawyers are notoriously hard to work with for marketing purposes. They have to Mm. everything just so. And so trying to, you know, bring them out into any kind of conversational speak is not an easy thing to do. So I learned very quickly that this is not the kind of thing that you can go to your corner come up with and then say, hey, what do you think? Um, not with lawyers, not with accountants, not with financial people. Um, and, I, and I found it to be far more enjoyable to interview them and to say, okay, let's spend an intake session where um, there's an hour or so that we'll spend. I'm going to interview you. We're going to maybe have like three, four topics that we get to. And we're going to spend, say, 10, 15 minutes on each topic. And by the time we're done, we will have enough fuel for what could be as many as three or four blog posts. Nice. And um, it's not only what could be more efficient, I think, but also straight from them. It's just not transcribed exactly the way they want because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to take their words and make it something different. If they want to just take their own words, they can just talk into a phone and this is what I'd say and that's that. But when they are hiring me, um, I am taking their words and recrafting it, reflowing it and feeding it back so that the person who would give them money would say, okay, this is speaking to yeah. me in plain English. And I say it with no disrespect to them. I'm like, I'm not writing for you. I'm not writing for you. I'm writing for the, I'm writing for your potential customer. It just, I want us to make you sound if possible, better than yourself, the version of yourself that is the best to put in front of a customer so they can understand 
what it is you're trying to get to because your audience is not a cocktail party of your peers. No. It is the people who would be your prospective customer. Yeah. My wife always says uh, communication is an away game, right? It's not what you say. It's what they hear. Yeah. And a lot of times that breakdown of communication is the way that I, I know what I mean. Why don't you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> so you're taking their words and you're putting it into a, a digestible right output for, for the customers. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how one word that you think is so obvious is not as well understood by some people. So I'll give you an example. I, I was talking in a networking setting I was presenting, I think. And I think all day long in that presentation, you know, it was 30 minutes. I was talking about content, 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 and content. And then at the end, somebody shoots up their hand and goes, so do you do writing? And I'm like, what do you think I was just talking about? They didn't understand that content can be the same as writing. They didn't put it together. And you and me can, you know, we'll sit here and probably go, what on earth? How could they not? But they just didn't, you know, put that together. And so the lesson of that is, is that you, what you think is the most obvious thing in the world and that people should put together is not always the case. Just look at, you know, when you get hopefully some great reviews from your customers, they will talk about things that you you're like, wow, I didn't know that about me. Um, you know, Dan is a great listener. Is that the first thing I would have said about myself? No, but people said it like seven or eight times. And I'm like, nice. okay, well, I say something totally different. Maybe I should take a listen to what these people are saying. So your, your antenna is always on. It's always thinking about not how you put it, but how they understand it. And that's really kind of the the way that it should be governed for you. You know, yeah. try to be as as much in their world as you can. Exactly. So, are you working with just the leaders? Do you work with the leadership team, or do you work with everybody? Yeah. In that? yeah. Um, I tend to work with um, you know, I tend to be like two or three people at a time, and um, that can be a marketing contact. Let's say, for example. Um, it can be a partner, CEO, um, those are fine. Um, in many cases, it's, it's one or, or the other of, of that, where um, one client, there's usually uh, like two partners that I can think of that are always on our regular weekly calls. Um, and then there could be a junior person that I speak with, though, um, on their staff. And so it tends to be pretty close knit in that way. CEO, sometimes it's a marketing director though too. Um, so just because I say fractional chief marketing officer doesn't mean you have a marketing officer, marketing director, marketing manager, those are fine. I mean, those are all great because one, the thing is that the, you're talking about one person who cannot get to everything right? and they know it and deep down, you know it. And so it's probably time to invest in some things that help you get more done and more um, focused on where your brand needs to go. Exactly. What I've learned, though, in a lot of businesses, um, all different sizes, is just because the CEO thinks this doesn't mean everybody thinks the same way. They don't think that that's what we should be doing. They don't think that's our our main message. They don't think that's the way I, I would describe our products and services. How do you get those people all on the same page, get them aligned? Yeah. Um, the way that I have seen if that is going to work is very easily uh, interviewing their clients. They can go against their employees. They can't go against their clients. Nice. So if their clients, I, I have one of my products, um, there's a couple of strategies that they can choose from. And one of them is called a, a strategy first blueprint. And um, in that, I say, well, I would like to talk to five, seven, 10 clients, you know, whatever you can give me, whatever you're comfortable with, at least five. And guaranteed, what I will find is a common thread that they're all saying. And what they are saying may not 
very well be what the CEO is saying. Or they will say some things that, um, you know, will surprise the C-level executive. So they can always, the C-level can say, well, that's one person or something. But when you have a common thread, yeah. unless they're an egomaniac and say, well, I don't care about my customers, <laughs> then they're going to have to listen to what those customers have told me through their interviews. So I, and I have no problem going in. I don't sugarcoat anything. I, I tell them, this is what they said. I'm, I'm just reporting. You know, I get, I ask them the questions. This is what they said. So I will give you an example. Like there was a, a big accounting firm that once that said, um, well, we're the best in this or we're the best in that. And um, the, the person, the people that I interviewed, they're like, I guess, I guess they're one of the best. I don't know. I mean, they'd have to kind of screw up for me not to use them anymore. So, you know, I kind of was referred to them from somebody and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't one person. It was yeah. a lot of people. And I said, um, would you consider them the best in this? And like, yeah, I guess, but I'm sure they're not the only ones. So this affinity that they had, it wasn't that they were, they weren't lying, but and they weren't being disingenuous, but at the same time, what they felt was the best about their firm didn't hold up to what their customers were saying. They said a totally different thing um, that was much, much better. And it was much more truthful and authentic. Right. And the best part about this is when you do it is the customer will say, gosh, I just really appreciate that you took the time and they took the time to ask me for my input on this. Absolutely. Because it really is the story of that company. And so, um, but that's the thing I will tell you that if it's going to work, it's interviewing your clients and saying, this is what they told me. And sure. it's up to you to reflect that in your brand or you can go against it. And I have, I will, you know, say there are people who've gone against it. Yeah. And um, not only did I think that was not the right move, but right afterwards, I said, we're done. Yeah. Because if you can't listen to your own customers and you're going to go against them and you're going to say, well, they said that, but we're really this, right? then you're a whole other kind of, you know, leader that needs Harlan's help or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really, that's something that's beyond my wheelhouse. Absolutely. No, why, you know, why buy for the expertise? to come in and, and give you these answers and then ignore them, right? Yeah. Think about the auto manufacturer, right? You've got the engineer that says, oh, it's the functionality of the car, you know, that we put into it. Somebody else says, oh, it's the safety. Somebody else says, oh, it's the colors that we have. Yeah. And the consumer, it's like, no, you've got great cup holders everywhere, right? Or something like that. Until you talk to them, you don't know what's most important to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And once you find that out, use that, talk about that. You know, yeah, and and I don't know why leaders shy away from this. I think they think like the, these these folks are going to say something bad, and I have yet to hear anything bad in all my years of doing this. I have never heard anybody say, "Well, you know." Come to think of it, they are pretty much jerks in A, B, C, D, and E. That has never happened, not even remotely. Yeah. And if anything. If there was a little something that they mentioned, wouldn't you want to know about it anyway, really? Um, but if you don't, let's just pretend that you don't. Okay, fine. Then you still, though, will be able to hear about your strengths in a way that you hadn't considered. What is so bad about that? I mean, to, to know that you might have something that's a hidden secret weapon of your firm right under your nose that somebody has valued. Wouldn't, what an amazing experience to get that uncovered. So um, I just think that's the best part of, of what I do in many ways. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Too many, too many businesses don't ask those questions. Like you said, I don't know if they're afraid of what they'll hear, but they don't ask enough times for the customers. Yeah. 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 I mean, when we are um, talking about, 
some some things that they have done in the past before we start working with them. I I say have they asked the most common question in the world? How did you hear about us? Mm-hmm. Guaranteed, the secretary is not asking that question, and I don't know that anybody is asking that question in the organization. How did you hear about us? Right. Forget the data. Forget the Google Analytics. Forget all of that. Just ask them. How did you hear about us? Because as some people are finding right now, not that that information is not always trackable. No. I mean, there are things like, what if somebody just, you know, heard about uh, something about your firm that couldn't be tracked and it just, it fell into a hole. Are you going to say that, you know, well, if it's not trackable, then we can't do anything with it and forego an opportunity to reach out to somebody? Um, there are always what we call, um, I think that's the new term is dark social, um, that, you know, it's this dark hole of stuff that is beyond the reach of Google and some other data. And so how do you get around that? Ask them, how did you hear about us? And because how do you know, how do you know where your money is going? You're spending money on advertising or, you know, billboards and uh, all this stuff. How do you know what's paying off and where to put the money? Yeah, yeah, you you really have to constantly um, recognize who is your ideal client too. I think that's important. Is that people get so confused and in a in a knot about um, the kind of customer who is not an ideal customer. So I'll say, for example, okay, this is based on everything we know, based on everything we've researched and the people we've talked to and interviewed. This is the sort of ideal customer of who you should be going after. Invariably, there will always be one person in the room who will say, yeah, but what about like, here we go. Right. This, uh, so they're always thinking about this person over here, or that person over there who is not an ideal person. And, um, it doesn't mean that you're not going to serve them. It just right. means that the front face of your brand should be that customer. Right. We get one life. Why do we not want to serve the people who bring us the most joy? Right. So what do we have against that? Do we honestly think that somebody's going to come to our website and be like, well, gee, uh, you will, you say on your website, you only do that. So I'm, I'm out. I don't believe that happens. If somebody wants to work with you, it's a chemistry thing. I, I, I fervently believe that yep. uh, because if you don't have chemistry, it doesn't matter anything about how long you've been in business. If you got to feel it and they may not admit this, but it is all about whether they like us and we like them. Exactly. And so why do I not do RFPs? Because they don't measure chemistry. Yeah. So that's really the thing that you're always looking for. Uh, so. Nice. But have you, have you worked with a client that they thought in their mind, this is our ideal. And yet really the people who are actually purchasing are these people. Over here? <laughs> you know, cause I've seen uh, like reports like that where it's like, yeah, we thought, you know, it's a between male between 35 and 60 and they build. No, it's the younger females that are really into this, whatever it is. It's like, have you ever seen that, that they've just had a total wrong direction? It is what happens is, it's don't throw out that one that you think is your your main bread and butter. That's fine. And I usually, there is some merit to what they're saying there, but what they haven't considered, uh, just a twist on what you're saying, but very similar is here's the group that you haven't considered in tandem. So in other words, they're just eating steak, but they haven't considered the potatoes at all. Like they don't know, did you know this up and coming audiences right here, and they actually really like your product if you just talk to them more often. Yeah. And so those that's the scenario I see a lot of where, no, you're not wrong per se, but you know, that other that audience also has these other ones that are worth talking to. And again, it's not to say this is ideal, this is ideal, this is ideal. No, we know who takes the lead in this thing, but at the same time, it doesn't mean forget about 
right. the ones who could give you opportunity to talk to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bit, the, the easiest example of this is we may say, okay, in the next six weeks, to, six to 12 weeks, you have some people who could be considered your target audience because they're ready to buy. And so many people do that. But what about the people who don't know you or the people right. who don't know to like you or trust you yet? You're going all the way to then ready to buy people. And you are leaving out thousands, maybe millions of people who need to be educated on what it is that you do and how you do it differently. And you're leaving them all out. Yeah. So, no, you're right that this is this is the people that you are, are ready to buy from you. But are you going to sit there and tell me that you're not interested in the people who will buy from you in the next year? Yeah. And you're not going to communicate with them. You're not going to plant some seeds. Um, that is the kind of person that still deserves a nod and needs to be studied a little bit so that you can bring them along. So that's an answer roundabout way of answering your question is um, that's what I see is that there is the main audience where there can be some alignment, but the thing that they are always really not thinking about is this hidden audience that could be up and coming and emerging if they just pay attention to it more. Yeah. But that's why it's important to check your numbers, check your stats on different things to see what's happening. Are you really hitting the target group you're, you're after, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and as you've seen, I'm sure so many times with leaders, you cannot be in an ivory tower and say, this is who I am. This is who we are. This is who we've always been. Um, people change and technologies change and your audience moves and evolves. And um, with it, it has to be your business. You cannot operate like you're in 1955. No. And you can't sit there and, and say, um, well, we've only really gotten word of mouth. We don't do a lot of advertising. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we're just okay. not going to do anything? Like, you're just going to rely on hope and somebody else to build your business? Hey, it worked uh, for Kodak, right? It worked for Blockbuster, right? <laughs> Blockbuster. This is what we've always done. So we'll just yeah, continue doing what we've always done. Yeah. yeah, we've always done it this mm. way. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who was always the turnoff. I mean, I wouldn't work with them anyway, but the, the one that says, well, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. Um, I cannot run out of the room fast enough from somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, okay, um, no. <laughs> I am not the person. I'm not going to come in here with a sledgehammer necessarily to your brand, but we're going to make some changes. Right, and yeah. we're not comfortable with change. We can't do stuff together. That's just not going to. So, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. So, you co authored a book, best selling yeah. book, Content Marketing for Local Search. Create yes. content that Google loves and prospects devour. Tell me about that book. How did it come about? Yeah. Yeah. Some great um, colleagues of mine in the marketing space um, are, are really, they are uh, some people who, uh, Ray Perry, Mark Fortune, Ken Tucker, and Ian Cantle. Um, and they are all part of a marketing organization we belong to called uh, Duct Tape Marketing. And um, it's we all have our own agencies, our own firms, but we had been putting our heads together many times to, um, you know, we, we always talked about new trends and SEO is always, you know, blink and next week it'll be different. Yeah. Um, and so we just felt like there were so many books out there, which there are, that are over a person's head in explaining what SEO is. It really needs to be brought down to a level of where if I'm a C-suite person, don't talk to me like I'm a website programmer. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not going to understand you. It's going to be a waste of time. Talk to me in terms I can understand. And so we all, the five of us looked at each other and said, we need to be that book. Um, we need to be the one that actually really changes people's perception about SEO in a way that um, makes it more human. And it's not writing for Google, despite the title, it's a little deceiving sometimes, I think. It's, you are writing for content that Google craves. 
but you are just as much, if not more so, writing for a human being who craves that content. And that's the way to approach it first. So um, we all were like, well, we can't write that book ourselves, um, sing singularly. So we tag teamed it and we, we all wrote chapters, we interviewed each other to get some material and uh, then it was born. And so um, it became a uh, bestseller on Amazon for a number of different categories. Um, and uh, we owe a lot to uh, some of the people who put us on podcasts like this. So um, that's that's really the the joint book uh, that we put together. Cool, and that's still available out on Amazon. Still available on Amazon. Yeah, it's only been a few years that it's been out, uh, and uh, you know uh, I should go through it to uh, probably pick up some tips from my colleagues, honestly. Um, but the you know no matter what the technology and tools are out there. I think a lot of the principles are always going to be the same in terms of, you know, right like you are talking to someone across from you at a coffee table. Yeah. That's not going to change. You're still going to need to do that. And I don't care um, what kind of AI or chat GPT is out there. Um, it's I'm, I'm not against those things, but remember at the end of the day, they're buying from humans um, until we see otherwise they are buying from human beings and the way they think about buying is a human process. And so we just feel like um, marketing in general should always be brought down in terms that people can better appreciate. They shouldn't have to, you know, go to college to understand what we right. do. <laughs> right. In, in, in anything that any of us do, they shouldn't have to, Oh, I don't know what my lawyer is talking about, so I'll go to law school. No, this needs to be brought down to their level so they can understand. Yeah, exactly. And like somebody said, it's not B2B or B2C. It's human to human. Yeah, so just yeah. Talk. Yeah, just talk it's to Very them. well said. Um, yeah, I, I've never, admittedly, I've, um, I, I think, you know, people will say, are you B2B or B2C and stuff? And sure, I think I'm probably more B2B for sure, but um even so, even when it is B2C, it's just talking to them as if it was one-to-one. -one. That's really the way I look at it, not we are a company, you are a big audience. Like, no, that's that's never how I approach it. Um, I'm always, you know, looking at them and saying, what pains are you having? What problems are you having? Very cool. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, changing topics just a little bit let's talk about courage um sure. on the program we talk about courage where did you find the courage to step away from the nine to five to create your own success where did you find the courage to overcome the setbacks bankruptcies divorce illnesses things like that yeah how about you where did you get your courage to number one start your own business write a book all the things you've done where did that courage come from yeah um i think the courage i find today comes from studying my behaviors after a failure. Okay. So I'll give you an example is when something bad happens um, related to my business, I know from journaling that it will take me like two full days. The first, the first day is a gut punch, but the first full day is like, I'm worthless. I'll never get another client. I, I, what am I doing? Imposter syndrome, everything. It's the, it's the worst. But I also know if I can hold on to the second day, I wake up with, eh, life is still bad, but okay, I guess it'll be okay. And then the third day, it's fine. I mean, I, and, and I don't know why that is. Uh, it's just, that's the behavior. And so I do know when there's two things that get me through it. Um, one is journaling. But I think the other thing quite uh, clearly for me has been mindfulness in terms of uh, it can be meditation. I'm fascinated by how being still and being quiet and just not doing anything um, for a certain period of time, which does not have to be long, can reset your brain. I'm fascinated by the natural rhythms that we have in our day for each of us. So in other words, when I have a setback, I listen 
to what my body is telling me. I used to be a person who could have a whole lot of fun with colleagues until two o'clock in the morning and go into work, but I can't do that anymore. So um, when I have a setback, um, it affects me even in a physical way, like running. I don't want to run. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to do anything. And, um, but then I, I have, you know, I'll take the calm app. I'll listen to a meditation and maybe they'll have someone talking about, um, your fears and your struggles and things like that. And, um, I really get through that, um, that way. And then the the other way to do it is, uh, we have a mutual friend, um, who introduced us, David Spicholi. And um, he has a famous phrase that basically says, um, get on with it, get over it, or get over it, get on with it. That's what it is. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he says it with tough love, but it snaps you out of it when you need to, you know, when you're finally in that sort of third day and you're like, okay, it's going to be all right. And then you get Dave, all right, get on with it, get over it. All right, good. <laughs> all right, <laughs> turning the page. There we go. So, exactly. Backpacks. I, I would say I've had as many as anybody and um, I have felt like the worst person in the world when they happen. I take them very hard, but I'm learning to set boundaries for um, my personal wellness. And I think every leader who expresses the courage to lead um, needs to set boundaries for themselves so that you read if you want to read a book read read a book it doesn't have to be about business Um, if you want to exercise if you want to work on your business not in your business set aside that time say nobody gets in this time okay it's a friday afternoon can you take a meeting at friday at two no i can't wish i could but i can't so some some folks will sometimes say well how do you stay committed to this? It's very easy. You put it in your calendar and nobody gets in and that's how it works. And you set that, that time aside for yourself to rebound yeah. and heal yourself. Sure. Um, that's how you do it. Yeah. Well, it's the grieving process. You can't bypass it, right? No, you have to go through no. it. You have to go through it. No, but I, I, I definitely, I like the idea of journaling. I think that's important. Yeah, You want to learn from the mistakes. You want to learn from the failures. You know, it's not how many times you fall down, right? Cliche. It's not how many times you fall down. It's how often you get back up. And I think learning, what did I do? What was I trying to do? What could I have done differently? Uh, You know, what, what did I learn from this? I, those are all important. I I don't think you, I don't think you fail unless you just give up altogether. You know, you, you really have to identify some people in your life, whether personal or professional, but probably professional, I think, to say, who are the people that I can open up to about this judgment-free? Not worrying about what they're going to think or anything. And they're not going to jump in with advice. You know, those are, that's important. So how, I don't care if it's one person or 10 people, um, but no matter what, you will find that when you open up to those people, all of them have the, the very much the same problems that you do. Um, it, it will shock you for how many people have the same challenges. They're going through them. You're not the only one. And the only way you may know that is by volunteering some information about yourself. And then they will say, oh, me too. I'll tell you about this time that I blah, blah, blah. And then it gets easier. Um, but you have to do the brave thing in being a leader sometimes. And that courage comes from, there's, there's confidence in opening up. There's confidence in saying, I didn't know what to do. I needed help because it's not in my wheelhouse to deal with this. So I spoke with this person and I got back up. Yeah. And I find that when I talk about it, I talk it out, I get stronger mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, like I really feel that 
um, like I don't have any problem talking about my failures. Um, we were talking before we got on about some things and I said, it was the hardest thing in the world for me to go through. I would never wish that on anyone, but I have no problem talking about it because people need to know that we all have setbacks and we all have failures. It's only in social media that we are all perfect. Exactly. Yes. We're all perfect and we all have it figured out. You know, everybody's on a stage and they're talking, they're doing their Ted talks and they all know things and more than you. That's not true. Everybody's got issues. Deep down, there are things that we have to work through. And that's why I like, like mastermind groups where, you know, you're sitting in the hot seat and you're telling everybody, here's what I'm struggling with. You realize they've all struggled with it too. Yeah. So you're not alone, right? You can learn from, learn from them. Yeah. You have to open up, but you also have to then be prepared that in the very best mastermind groups, I think they know how to say, okay, well, Harlan, I think we will, we suggest A, B, and C, take one of those for next time and tell us how you do. And that's as important as any component of the mastermind is that what did you do with that? So, and that's not easy. I will be the first to admit, I'm in one right now where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I've, what have I done? I got to do some stuff in the next couple of weeks to live up to what I just said. Yeah. And, and you, you have to do that, but it, it's that special push that they give you, not to be your bosses, but to be your allies. And um, if it's important to you, it's important to them and they will hold you accountable. That's the exactly. best mastermind out there. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And so um, we talk about different types of courage, right? Intellectual courage, we spoke about a little earlier, where yeah. you set aside your current knowledge to make room for new knowledge because there's always something new. Yeah. Um, empathetic courage, setting aside uh, your emotions to make room for somebody else's emotions, right? Yes. Uh, social courage, saying what needs to be said when it needs to be said, even if it's unpopular. Um, is there a type of courage you think is most important for entrepreneurs or for the clients that you work with? Is there a type of courage? Uh, you try to help them get to? Yeah, I, I think there is the courage to step out of the comfort zone um, of what they have done and what they know to be successful. Because there is more than one way to be successful. And the way that you are going to do that starts with educational courage. And what I mean by that is um, I had a client in the um, manufacturing space and the sales team of that client, they only knew how to sell certain products that they knew were going to be bought. It was an easy sale. They knew it like the back of their hand for years. And whenever, but whenever there was something new, they just didn't want to sell it. They didn't want to learn. And um And then they probably wondered why their checks weren't as big um, because they didn't want to push. Um, Ted Lasso said it once and wanted to be curious. You know, you you have to be curious. You have to push yourself outside of what you know. And it is the educational, the intellectual courage to say, I don't have to do this, but I need to do this for myself. That's probably the biggest thing that someone can do that will pay dividends and nobody else is going to know whether you did it or not. So I, I mean, like a few weeks ago, I was in a seminar um, that I took where I had to call like 25 people out of the blue for a cold calling seminar to say, I, I couldn't even sleep the night before I was so scared. I've got the willies um, just thinking about it. I've, yeah, it, it was, it's, I was I was so scared. One guy was like, "I'm going to grab an earlier flight and not do this. I can't. I can't do it." He eventually stayed, but I mean, it was like that. And we ended up doing it, and I ended up feeling like, "Okay, you know, that was all right." I'm uh, I'm shocked that I was able to do that. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to get up on a stage as part of a speaking class. And I'm terrified. I mean, I, I don't even know how I'm going to do that at all. Uh, so, but somehow I will. Uh, and, and so 
you don't know how things will always turn out, but you do know, and, and the, the parallel to running that I'm doing, I'm training for the Chicago Marathon, and I see this parallel. I never feel like running. I am never like, I, I want this goal. I want to reach right. this goal. But I, the toughest opponent is the one in my own head that says, "Ah, eh, you don't need to do that today. It's okay. You, you did, you did stuff yesterday, and you did a good job." Well, okay, but I, I know that when I go out the door in about an hour, and I still won't feel like it, but I will feel so good when it's over. I will feel so good because of accomplishment, right? And that I went a certain distance, and I, I felt good. So. The point is, is that there is this strength, this courage that comes from the unknown, that you know to be the best version of yourself, you have to do things that are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And um, that is something that not everybody's built for. They just don't want to do it. And they might even talk about it, but they don't want to actually do it when push comes to shove. So they, they say, okay, well, I'll get around to that. Um, or they keep going to conferences and being inspired and then forget about it in three right. days. Yeah. But um, if they're serious, they go to these boot camps that push them out of their comfort zone yep. and they keep it going every day after. Yeah. And so that's, that's, the that's where growth happens. That's, that's where, where growth, growth happens, happens is. Yeah. It's, it's doing really hard stuff, really uncomfortable stuff that will feel more comfortable. It's just like learning everything else. You, you sure. just got to push yourself and you will be so happy with what you discover about what is possible for you. And there's no age to it. There's no such thing as being too late in your career yeah. to, to be that person. You can, you can be that at 80 years old. Uh, that is something that every leader has it within them to do if they take the courage. Very cool. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. This has been awesome. This has been really, really good. I really appreciate you taking time out to chat yeah. with us. Um, if people want to learn more about you, learn about Caliber, um, the programs you offer and things you do, how can they do that? What's your website? Yeah, they can go to uh, www.highcaliberbranding.com dot com. Um, that's Caliber's website. And then um, if they want to connect to me on LinkedIn, that's great too. Uh, Dan Gershenson. That's a little harder to spell. So you probably want to <laughs> go to, if you can find me there, great. If not, just go to highcaliberbranding.com and you'll see what I'm all about there. Very cool. Well, I'll make sure the links are in the show notes. I'll put a link to your book too on Amazon. Oh, thank you. Um, so people can go out and get that. Yeah. Very cool. But yeah, this has been, this is, I knew we were going to have a great conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is a fantastic Harlan, and it's the the thing that you talk about is so important. It's reminding leaders that their courage is within, and there is more. There's always more to tap. There's always more to find and explore, even in the CEO role. Never stop learning. Just keep Never going. Stop. Keep learning. Exactly. Absolutely. All right, listeners. Hope you guys. Heard that. A lot of good points here. Hope you're taking some good notes. Uh, definitely check out the website. And uh, like I said, I'll have all those links down in the show notes for everybody. Share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues. Um, make sure you subscribe so you get notified every time new podcast drops. And uh, stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me. Thanks, I'm Carlin Singh. So long for now. <laughs>